Hello, and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about episode six, the final episode of Captain Falcon and the... Yeah. <laughs> Captain Falcon and the Winter Wolf. Wait, no? Uh, Falcon and the... Oh my god, Captain they America called him Captain the White Falcon. Wolf. That shit was hilarious. <laughs> Falcon. What? Oh. All that more after we stop laughing and this commercial message that we have no control over. Oh, that's the actual intro. <laughs> yes. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as always, for discussions of Captain America and the Winter Soldier by Paul Hoppy and Will Freeland. Will, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good, man. Um, lots of lots of ups and downs this last episode. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a lot going on. <laughs> Paul, how about yourself? I feel barely, barely. Yeah. So I didn't get a lot of sleep. First of all, <laughs> I'm going to preface this episode with that. Um, and. Yeah, I felt very strongly about this episode in, like, all directions. <laughs> Definitely, like, Definitely. loved, hated it, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah just a, a lot of thoughts. Yeah, I get that. And I think um, we're going to mostly focus on this episode, though obviously it's, like, tying up of a lot of other things. We're going to do yet another episode uh, later with the guys from the MCU podcast, uh, kind of doing an overview of all the ethical stuff that this show brought up. And I think as we kind of go into this one, it's important to kind of like just name two realities. One is we've we've talked about this a lot as we uh, covered this stuff, but I feel like in this episode more than anything, the difficulties of of creating a show that was written pre-pandemic and then had to be shot during the pandemic really kind of came to light, I think, as well as also the realities of wanting to write your own show that also has to kind of feed the plots of some other things. Mm. And I think that, like, I know for me, at least, some of my biggest concerns, I think, were kind of addressed by those two things. So I kind of want to be both, like, I think overall I loved this episode in a lot of ways. I also had a lot of, like, eh, that's not what I hoped that character arc was going to wind up with. But <laughs> but also <clears throat> I feel like maybe it was going to go in a different way. And so I think, like, we're not going to review the episode here. We're going to talk about the ethical questions that I, I still think this is one of the absolute best shows I've ever seen for raising those kind of questions. And um, yeah, so I think it'd be fun to kind of just go into the different characters and, and stories and talk about like, you know, what, what we think the arguments were being made and, and, and how we think about those. Cool. Word. <laughs> this is usually where you ask us a question, right? I... Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it's funny because Paul and I have just been having a discussion about, um, my childhood habit of being kind of a like, okay, I'm going to take control. I'm going to decide where we all go for food and, and things like that. And I've been trying very hard, especially with these podcasts a lot of time, not to do that. Except uh, also like I'm kind of the host and so I have to sort of push the conversation along. So right, right. You're absolutely the host. We're, we're going to follow your lead. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we're just going to sit here and say one people after you say one world. Oh, my God. <laughs> Paul is never going to follow my lead. He hasn't done it in 30 years. But uh, we'll see what we can do. Um, my math is terrible. 20 it's years. close. It's 27. 27. Okay. There yeah. we go. There we go. Actually, okay. So for all those people who wanted to actually hear us talk about the episode. <laughs> um, so where, where do you all want to start? What are, what are kind of some of your general thoughts on the way this show tied up the kind of ethical questions that have been wrestling with this whole time? Um, to your point, I think it uh... – just having to film a pandemic sucked. Um, I think, I think it needed to be more than six episodes. Mm-hmm. 
if it were an eight episode show, I think there would have been much better payoff and we would have been able to uh, spend more time with the characters and their arcs and like the, like the side characters and their arcs. Yeah. Um, like I, yeah. I, I was commenting at one point, I really wished we'd had an episode of Sharon and Carly in Medjapur because I felt like, like Sam clearly was the protagonist of the show. And I think his story got fantastically told Bucky 90% of the way. Some of those other side characters, I just felt like there's so much about Carly's story that we've been talking about this whole time that I don't feel like I got enough of in terms of like understanding where she's coming from, understanding why she's making the decision she's making uh, in, in terms of ethically, especially. And then Sharon, like I, that was <laughs> it wasn't out of nowhere. Like we all knew she was the power broker, but I still I, I guess the idea was just that any gender can wear a mustache and twirl it, which I'm generally in favor of. But like I just don't like mustache twirling. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, just to address, like, a a big ethical question, or, like, two, maybe, like, I kind of feel like you sh- probably shouldn't film during a pandemic. Like, I think a lot of things that should have been shut down, like, it was like, oh, but this is important because a lot of money is being spent, so we're going to do it anyway. And so, like, it sucks, but, like, a lot of things suck during a pandemic, and, like... yeah. I don't know. I feel like people dying sucks the most. And so, you know, I, I don't know how big the crews are or exactly how much they filmed during it. I thought they started before and then they did reshoots during. I, I don't know the whole story, but like. I, I think that's the case. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's tough. You know, I don't think there's a super easy answer, but my answer is mostly just like, don't, uh, whatever. I won't go off about the pandemic. But like, <laughs> at the same time, like, if the original thought had a bunch of stuff with a virus in it that was like spread deliberately i i actually oppose rewriting that for the sake of like not interacting with what's going on like i i say just tell your story and like mm-hmm. you know it's hard i mean it's like when they when they put out um the two towers like after uh fellowship of the ring like they were talking about renaming it and not calling it the two towers because um, it was 2002, right? Yeah. Um, but then it was like, no, we'll just call it the Two Towers. And they did, yeah. and it was fine. And I think there would have been a lot to think about and talk about if this show ended up having to do with with some kind of a virus being spread deliberately. But, like, whatever. If that's the story you wanted to tell, I kind of feel like just tell that story. Um, I, but I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. I also think, honestly, if the show hadn't had been about a global pandemic, I don't think I could have watched it. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. I think if they'd been like, let's tell the story again in five years. Cool. Right. But like, yeah. So I think that's just, you know, different. It, it's definitely a hard question though. I think yeah. it's like, how do you balance that? And I'm, I'm guessing there again, that may not have been the writers or the showrunners. That may sure. have just been the network. Yeah. Being producers. Like, yeah, we're not yeah. doing that. Yeah. I, I, w- I don't really want to see a bunch of pandemic fiction in general yes. <laughs> you know but i just want people to tell the story they wanted to tell so but i, I, I get I will, you i will say that last night i watched space jam which <laughs> i might do an ethical episode against at some point because it made the absolute monster terror of new york knicks fans michael jordan into a hero but the one thing i would say that I, the only reason i'm bringing that movie up now is because in the movie the nba character the nba players think that there's some kind of like virus going around mm-hmm. And so the players demand and the owners agree to shut down all games entirely <laughs> until the virus is dealt with. And I was like, oh, 
have been nice if the NBA could have done that. Right. Uh, but anyway, wow. so like back to the actual story we're I, getting. I'd just like to note that you said an episode against. What do you mean? Oh, you said to do an episode <laughs> against Space Jam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I, I think... As a free insult. up, yes. No, no, I think it was legitimate. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, no, I know. Like, you said what you meant. But... I, I have very strong feelings about Michael Jordan being a hero. I hear you, I hear you. story entirely. Um, okay, so our fans are now very frustrated. Let's actually talk more about this show itself. Um, let's talk about Sam uh, to start with, because obviously that's been kind of the the main storyline is, especially in the last couple episodes, it really kind of boiled down to, like, is he going to be able to take the mantle of Captain America? Uh, where is that going to let him stand with with Bucky, with the government, with uh, Isaiah, and all that? How, how did you all feel about how that story got told? Paul? Oh. I mostly loved it. Um, the, the parts of this episode specifically, but also more broadly the series um, that I loved the most were... And, and that I just feel they really followed through and they delivered on, um, you know, the, the central premise of the show being like, who's going to be the next Captain America? Is there going to be one? And like, more specifically, will it be Sam? You know, will Sam embrace the role? And in this episode, obviously he did. Um, and the way he did and the way he just owned it, like, who are, like, who are you? What are you doing here? I'm Captain America. Like, it was mm-hmm. just like, that's it, you know? And then, yeah. and the way people accepted it because he just did what Captain America would do, basically. Like, what you expect out of the person in that role. Um, I really love that. Uh, you know, some, some thoughts about the whole speech thing, even though I basically agreed with what he was saying overall. Uh, you know, I have a thing about speeches. I'm sure we'll get more specifically into that. Um, but then also, you know, seeing Isaiah see Sam as Captain America Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, especially the conversation between them at Isaiah's house, I thought was wonderful. And I I felt like, um, that was to me, like, maybe like mission number one of the show was to deliver on that. And I Mm -hmm. feel like it did that part of what it set out to do wonderfully. I agree. Um, I uh, uh, watching watching Sam. I I really appreciated Sam's uh, stance. Like, okay, his speech was a little long. However, uh, it definitely it boiled down to, and he said it himself. But like, just be better. <laughs> <laughs> like, and and so super tangent. But like, when I first started uh scrolling through tiktok there was a lot of my a lot of my content on my for you page was people just like trying to inspire others to be better people and like Mm -hmm. the the adage of just be better like set the example be the example just try to make this world a better place be empathetic and uplift the others like that's that is such a great stance and it's not um that's something that steve rogers doesn't necessarily doesn't always say 
Mm. Like that, that's, that's one of the differences other than, you know, race, but like, that's one of the big differences between Sam and Steve is like, Steve showed how to be better and he Mm. always tried to be better, but he never told others to be better. It was always like, well, we'll do it together. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. It's always let's be better. <laughs> right, it was right, never. Right. It was never like go do you. I'm gonna keep doing me, but I want you to be better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, I th- and I think like go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I, I think Steve really set an example. That was like what his character did, but he didn't mm-hmm. really tell or even ask anyone to follow it. He'd be like, "Well, I can't ask you to do this," and and Sam's like. Captain America just, you know, knocked on my door and <laughs> said he needs help, like, doing something important. Like, of course I'm going to help. And um, and so I think Sam, you know, saying, you know, be better, do better is is so powerful and important. And also him kind of, you know, admitting, like, he doesn't know everything. He doesn't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. He's just like, we have to try. We have to do a better job of you know, making the world better for everybody. And this is almost like the first instance, it's the only one that comes to mind of a hero really kind of holding a government or governments accountable Mm -hmm. to the people. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not, you get a lot of villains telling governments they have to do this or that, right? And I think that's sort of the idea of what Carly's doing is she's like, we're going to stop the governments from doing what they're doing. And Sam's just like, look, you have to not do this. And he, he's basically using the power of the imagery, the power of being a superhero to kind kind of hold them accountable to the people um, in a very powerful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, there's like 8 million things I wanted to, to comment <laughs> on here. Um, just starting with what you just said, though, I think we're definitely going to get into a lot more about Carly. I really like that, especially because I think sometimes the way that these stories are told can be very violence is always bad. Nonviolence is always good. You know, the violence never helps. But if you stand up and make a nice speech the way the whitewashed version of MLK did, then everything is fine. This felt to me very much like Sam understood that people were only going to listen to his speech because of what Carly had did. And Mm -hmm. like he still isn't okay with it. And I think like we can definitely talk about like what – you know, the ethical choices she made and were they or were they not okay. I think it's pretty clear, though, that people like Sam didn't really understand how bad this problem was until what Carly and the Flag Smashers did. Yeah. And then I don't think I mean, already, like, I'm such a cynic, especially when it comes to politics. I've worked in that area for far too long. And I think at first I really didn't like what happened with the speech because I was like, come on, no one tells a great speech. And just all of a sudden the government organization, like if that was true, like, you know, we would have made, you know, AOC, the planet president of the world by now. Um, But like, but like, but, but this isn't our own world. It is a fantasy world. And maybe like what you're saying, Will, like, you know, it can be an inspiration. Like we can do better and we should give more of those speeches and maybe things can get better Um, because of what he's doing is he's not just giving a speech. He's so directly challenging the authority. Yeah. At a, at a moment when it's like the authority is trying to be like, yep, see, we were right. Carly was wrong. Uh, the flag smashers were wrong. They like to me, the fact that he calls out their use of the word terrorist. Right. Yeah. So yeah. ethically relevant, you know, because he's saying like, look, you think they're a terrorist. They think you're a terrorist. Yeah. And like to me, that was just like everything. I just I loved that moment. So yeah, much. that was huge for sure. Yeah, that that also, that's a word. Every time someone says it, like I want to have something to say, but and I'm like, oh, <laughs> he said it, <laughs> you know. 
and and he also yeah. threw Thug in there too, which I think was a not too subtle way of you know yeah. commenting oh, yeah. on on you know the way people use language um, in in racist fashion to mm-hmm. yeah. you know definitely. I, I, the other thing I want to comment on is especially with what you're saying about Sam's story. For me, I think, and I'm wondering if you all see the same, but again, it was so important to me that, that Sam was able to show Isaiah that things had changed mm-hmm. without ever saying, Isaiah, you were wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was really a way of honoring, like, of course, this is what Isaiah would see. And and in Isaiah's time and in his experience, his point of view is 100% correct. Right. But that, like, t- to me, the way that was done was very much like honoring him without it being like look see you were wrong i could have been captain america all the time yeah he's not like you were you were wrong about how things were he's like look things can be different we can make them different Mm -hmm. right um and he really does i think embrace the symbolism of being captain america in a way that i don't like wasn't steve's goal like steve was turned into captain america by Mm -hmm. you know by others basically and then he he wore the mantle but like Sam had to make a decision of being like, I will take up the shield. And yeah. um, the fact that he has, I think in this series, what they accomplish is they give him a level of agency in that, that there wouldn't have been if he just took the shield from, from Steve and was like, okay, I guess I'm Captain America now, you know? Um, right. This is the, uh, this is what was needed to get him to the point from feels like it's not mine to this is mine exactly yeah that's why this show exists so when we see him in a movie next he owns the shield and it doesn't feel forced exactly yeah and and i think that i think it's also why it's so important i I commented on this on a tiktok um ethical panda is my name the ethical panda is my name there about like how important and i think i mentioned it on our last podcast as well about how important i think it was to me that like wakandans had been a part of making this captain america suit you know that it's not the united states anointing him and his whole line about like you know i'm gonna fight for my country um you know but he's not he's not gonna fight for the government and he's not gonna do what the government wants him to do he's gonna it's really back to that that steve ideal of I'm going to fight for the ideals of what this country is supposed to be about instead of like what the government tells me it wants to do. For sure. And, and that's a journey from, you know, the first thing we saw Sam do after ironing a shirt was <laughs> like, like, you know, be a contractor for the government. Right. And like try and chase someone uh, or, you know, rescue someone, I guess, from people who kidnapped him in Tunisia and before they got to Algeria. So it's like all about borders and about, you know, being a military contractor. And here he's like, I'm Captain America. You know, someone's like, when did the government make you Captain America? It's like, that wasn't addressed, but like, he did it. You know, he just decided yeah. this is what I'm going to be. The way Spider-Man decides I'm going to be Spider-Man, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and so so just the way um, I completely lose my train of thought is uh <laughs> oh i i i i completely it's it's completely gone all right yeah it's gone it's gone <laughs> insufficient sleep rebooting mental <laughs> processes that's fine don't worry we're actually doing two podcasts with paul today so the second one's especially gonna be really fun yeah about um, that um... <laughs> go ahead 
Oh, I was gonna say, like, uh, from Will or, or from you, Paul, any other thoughts on kind of Sam's journey with all this? Um, oh, yeah, like, the one moment that really, really stood out, I think, um, that no one else got to see besides Carly and Sharon, who so rudely interrupted it, was, you know, Sam standing there and basically being like, don't do this this way, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and putting his life on the line and just being like, stop it, you know, like, I'm on your side in terms of what we need to change. But like, are you really going to shoot me for that? Like, am I, am I who you want to fight? And him basically refusing to, to, you know, fight her. Um, it felt very sort of like Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi and, and very, very Batman in some places, like just in, in this, like, sometimes, you know, sometimes you're fighting someone that isn't the person that you want to be fighting physically, yeah. you know, and for him to do so in a, in a defensive way and then be like, okay, you know, what are you going to do? Like decide who you want to be basically. Um, I don't know. I thought that was really powerful. I definitely think so, and especially Sam does. Sam named something, and this is maybe getting us more into the Carly discussion, which is a good place to go next. But he also named something which, to me, gives an insight about Carly that we didn't really have, or that no one else has had. Which he describes her as like a, a teenager, a misguided you know? teenager, a misguided which, teenager. Which yeah. to me, like we, we, Paul, I think you and I may have some differences in how we see different ages and stuff like that. But I think it does. Like when you think about the timing of all this. Part of that means is that probably like the blip, the first blip happened when she's 15. Right, you know? right. And I know that I, I have the same political ideals for the most part when I was not when I was 19 as I do now. I have very different ideas of what the method should be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And especially at 19, it's not that I was like logically, rationally thinking out what the method should be. It was like, ooh, capitalism bad, capitalism smash. Right, right. Um, you know, <laughs> which I don't think is good ideals i think still but like not the basis for a political strategy um so it does and again i I, carly i wish we'd gotten more of that maybe but i like the idea of seeing her more as someone who was that that if she's part of this is that she's very like dedicated to this cause a little bit you know over her head because of all the support she's getting so quickly and maybe not the most like you know kind of really just fired up and not really being able to like think think through all the alternatives and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i there's still some ways of Carly's character that I wish had been different, but it does help me understand it better. Hmm. Yeah, that yeah. phrase kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I think that's more because it's Carly isn't the character I want her to be. I think in yeah. terms of the character she actually is, like if you look at the sum total of all of her actions, you know, it's maybe um, a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And so let's get into that. So for Will and Paul, what did you think of, of how Carly's story wrapped up and kind of the what we finally learned about like the choices she made and how they present got presented? How do I feel about Carly? I I guess the way her story ended felt made it kind of feel like she was a tool uh to be used. Uh by by Sharon basically and and not like it, it it felt like it was it was starting to really take away from what the flag smashers were trying to do um and I don't know if like I'm trying to make <laughs> I'm trying to make a headcanon uh where 
the way her story ended fits with what she and the Flag Smashers were trying to do. And, um, and I don't know if there, I don't know if there's a, a storytelling parallel between her and like Azula from Avatar hmm. Last Airbender. Hmm. Um, I see that. Just because like she was headstrong, she, she had a defined plan. She knew what she wanted to do. And as more and more people were getting involved, um, either for her or against her, she started, it felt like she started to lose sight and she started to like change what the Flag Smashers were about in her head, where mm-hmm. the other super soldiers hadn't gotten there. Yeah. And they're very much like, that's not, I mean, they're, you know, just that scene of like, that's not what we were planning on doing. When not, she's willing to kill the hostages, yeah. she want to take them hostage. Yeah, and when she and when she does the one people and they just they they can't in they they no longer believe their leader to the point where they'll say it back. Right. And it's just like, "Oh, man. Yeah, okay." But like her and oh man, I feel bad because part of it could be the uh the actress that they chose mm-hmm. because she doesn't have a whole lot of she didn't express too much like change in in motivation in her eyes or her face and so like the way she was written they they may have been able to show it more if they had a more expressive actress Mm -hmm. but that's kind of discounting how good she did in the first place i don't know i'm torn (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i think part of that for me is all that's i think one of the stories that i think most suffered by the, the changes that happened to me I think one of the things that we were most missing was scenes between Carly and Mama Donya because right a lot of Carly's story felt very you know tell don't show but that especially and like the the actress who played Mama Donya who literally just like sat on a slab as a corpse is Veronica Falcone who has, has done a like a lot that's not a like completely unnamed actress and I feel like you don't get an actress like that to like just lie on a table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm guessing that that was a much bigger part of the story, and that probably she died of the d- disease. And they, they still say that she dies of tuberculosis, which is like the disease that's happening because there's not enough resources. But I, I, I'm wondering if there's a different version of the story where we get a lot more of Carly and her, and that maybe she's kind of that like a little bit restraining influence on Carly, who's kind of like your passion is awesome, but let me help you guide it a little mm. bit. And that then once she dies, especially once she dies because of the thing that Carly is so angry about, that that a little bit sends Carly off into like, no, let's just kill them all. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting possibility. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd say that like, you know, Carly not ever having a real backstory, like they tell us that, you know, this other person was super important to her but they don't show us any of that really um and none of the other flag smashers are ever like real characters you know like they they you know their reactions are they're basically there only for their reactions to carly's decisions it feels and that's like the only time they feel like they they have any thoughts of their own you know and i really really think the series could have benefited from if you're going to try to tell a story this big, 
I think you need some more of them to be real characters. I think you need yeah. us to give us some backstory on Carly. Maybe that's with Mama Donya. I don't know. Um, maybe some of that's with the the power broker stuff, like more than like maybe, a few maybe, lines. Yeah, an episode in Majapur showing her it, and Sharon. Exactly, and exactly. Well, and she didn't know. It, well, no, she does know who Sharon was. Never mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She did. So she's the one who knew, and like, yeah, we never really get any of that except from that one showdown scene at the end. Um, but I will say, like, she won. You know, like her goal was to get them to not deport 20 million people and Mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, like, and it's maybe, I mean, it's at least as much because Sam came in and did what he did, but if she hadn't done what she did, like they probably just would have gone ahead and done that. So like, you know, on some level, like mission accomplished and, you know, when she's like, it doesn't matter if we die here, I'm like, oh, you're definitely going to die. Uh, like, don't say that like you're never gonna survive if you say the lines of dialogue like that but you know like yeah it felt to me like they were planting the seeds for the the flag smashers to be some sort of long-term thing maybe the one who got dumped in the river and sam fished out is the one who will end up being the new leader i don't know um but it, or maybe there won't be a leader. Maybe it'll just be a movement, right? Um, without a, a head, which makes plenty of sense. And I was really hoping for some sort of like global action or like direct action besides just just them doing this one thing to the to the GRC. But yeah, you know, like <laughs> I mean, certainly uh, the sense that I got <laughs> was that. Like, the Flag Smashers were not this hierarchical, like, rigid organization. Right. To me, they were much more like, I think I may have said this last time, but, like, you know, Antifa or Anonymous. Yes. And like, uh-huh. I, I, I want to be very careful as I say that I am, like, Antifa, the word terrorist is dumb by any means, but Antifa is not a terrorist organization. I'm not in any way trying to make that part of a, I, I'm a very, I'm Antifa proudly. I think any American citizen should be. Uh, fascism bad. But, like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there's, like that Anonymous, even BLM to some extent, like, there's no, like, if, if someone asked you, like, who's the president of Black Lives right. Matter who goes on and, like, like right. there are different leaders that have emerged, yeah. but it's, it's, it's. Decentralized. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the story actually is a great example of, like, we're at a point in the internet age where a decentralized movement without a central leader is possible. Yes. Because of Agreed. the way the internet works and things like that. And I think Flag Smashers to me is a great example of that. So, yeah, I, I would very much hope Flag Smashers continues to be a part of the story going forward me too but if you're going to try and start an, uh, an organization like that probably don't have an app that like people can just download and <laughs> know yeah, that where was... you're gonna be <laughs> oh <laughs> what? man what a, like that was such a like oh uh, let's just end it <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah how do we end this really quick oh let's just give right an app <laughs> yeah uh, I think the, the last thing I would say about Carly, the other other folks definitely chime in. I think Sam needed to say eighty to ninety percent of what that speech was. Like he needed to be that moment of like the person who could understand Carly in a way that like the senator couldn't. And there, I think his being like from a marginalized community as well, like that's an important part of him being cap in a yeah. way that like at the time when Steve Rod like Steve Rogers wasn't like blonde haired, blue eyed, perfect American. He was. I think Irish, but he was some kind of like white immigrant at a time when that was looked on pretty badly. 
And, and he like, has a little bit of green in his blue. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> As a green-eyed person, I find that very offensive being called a flaw by Zemo. <laughs> Just gotta say, dude, Zemo is such a supremacist. Oh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, but but my point is like, I, I, and so Sam giving that speech and being the one who understands Carly makes total sense. But I wish at least some of that speech had been given by Carly. Yeah. And I think, again, that mm. may be a case where, like, we never really got a chance for her to say to the world or even us, the audience, exactly what, like, it's all hinted and, and, like, shown, but it's never really, like, here's her saying what, why she, why her cause is right. Right. And, like, there's an internet. Like, there's a platform for these things. <laughs> you know? Like, if you want to spread your message, you can. Like, we are. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like... <laughs> like uh, that it it feels to me like in a world with the technology we have now and what they have then like y- you can actually make speeches that people hear without having to have a physical platform where you're at a place with people's attention you know so right, right. her doing something like that people watching videos of you know flag smasher videos or something i think yeah. could have could have been uh, helpful to that point. Two dedicated fans of her starting a podcast, for example. You know, exactly. Because <laughs> of what you said, like, what we're doing here. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, should we uh, go on to uh, Mr. John Walker? Yeah. I was surprised by John. Yeah. What? Uh, how'd you feel about that? Um. I So, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> for... for for going for for the car um it felt not unearned but like so out of character of the last two episodes like i don't think we ever saw maybe it was supposed to be the scene with um lamar's family but we never really saw walker come back from the edge that he was on (laughs) I think right. he hadn't. Right? Okay. <laughs> I, I think that was him coming back from the edge he was on. Yeah. I mean, he had his, like, yeah, he, like, grabbed his face and was, like, trying to figure himself out. But Yeah. yeah. He, he, it's not like in the garage was this transition moment. He starts the fight and all he wants is revenge on Carla. Yeah. Right. And oh, my gosh. When she, says, when she says only the people that mattered, oh. I got upset. I was like, excuse you. Yeah. <laughs> She, she maybe she shouldn't be giving speeches like she's like that's that's oh not what gosh. I meant to say you you tricked me into saying that like that I can't hear anything because oh, I unplugged man. my headphones I was so excited it it does track for me like I like I've done a lot of study uh, when I was in, in school of like you know different uh, populist movements and leftist movements and and all these kind of things and uh, one of the things that comes up a lot like especially when I look at, like people from the sixties and stuff a lot of whom are my heroes and still are but is like a lot of times people are. They care a lot about people, and they are really dedicated to helping people, and they're kind of terrible about how they treat individual persons. Mm. Um, and to me, that was kind of Carly's moment there. Yeah, you know, mm. was she really cares about Momodonia? She really, I think she definitely does care about her fellow freedom fighters. But like, if you're not one of those people, you're either like one of the victims or one of the people in the way of the victims, and. I get what she meant because she is saying, I'm sorry I killed him. And what she means is, I don't think he was the enemy, so I don't care about him. I don't care about him enough to want to have hurt hurt him. Right. But it comes out as her saying, 
I don't care enough about him to have cared that I killed him, which I think is very much not what she meant, but also, yeah, like, choose your words a little more carefully. Like, have the edit button. Right, right, for sure. Be like, can we just rewind? Give give me the time stone for a minute. Let me try that. (laughs) Take that again. (laughs) But yeah, but getting back to the walker of it, and here's where I said, like, it may also be the more MC properties. I, I am guessing that someone told the showrunner and the writers, like, look, we need to have him be U.S. agent by the end of this. Because, honestly, like, him switching there didn't really make much sense to me. And if the story even was, okay, he's a murderer and he's terrible and everyone else is like, we'll fight with you in this moment, but we're still taking you to the raft afterwards. Uh, But then he gets away and Contessa finds him and is like, you know, let me tell you about the Thunderbolts thing. Sure, I can deal with that. Mm Mm-hmm. But like Bucky and Sam treating him like, okay, you're one of the you're one of the gang now. And there's that moment of like him and Sam like kind of looking at each other and giving like a bro nod to each other. And right. I was like, this guy murdered someone with a cap shield. Like he's acting as like a cop or a soldier. He's an official representative of the government. He committed murder. Uh that that really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel so torn on it because um I mean, everything you're saying about the way Sam and Bucky responded to him, I totally agree with. Um, I definitely don't think he has any place working in uh, the military or law enforcement or, you know, wielding force. Um, I really love the character's arc and I actually completely buy it, which is a little like rare for me <laughs> like especially <laughs> on things that some that's people don't all buy but um like when he showed up i actually just felt like really sad because mm. i feel like he's one of the many many people who are told a lot of their life that a certain thing is good and the right thing to do right and then mm. he does that thing and I don't think that's a good thing to do, you know, <laughs> like I think it's it's actually a very bad thing to do and that what you're doing when you're in the military or in law enforcement, a lot of it, I, I think, is working to support a very oppressive system, whether it's nationally or internationally or local or whatever. But I think that he buys into that and that he had that one moment after his like best friend was killed, not murdered, but killed, mm-hmm. that he he lost it. He snapped because y- you can tell that's in him, right? Right. And right. and he loses it there. And then he he kind of sticks with that line of, you know, then he fights Sam and Bucky, and then, you know, then he tells off the GRC or or I don't know if that was more of a US government thing. I, I'm a little unclear on that. I think it was a GRC. When they're like, oh, well, you can't be Captain America anymore. Um, And, you know, he's not wrong about what he says. Like, they did make him. The government and American propaganda made him what he was. But I still think on some level, he's a person who wanted to do... Like, he wants to know what the right thing to do is. And he wants to do that. He just doesn't have that strong sense of it or he doesn't have a sense of it that agrees with my sense of what it is right and i think he had multiple moments in that whole sequence to try to put more focus on trying to save the people in the van 
but he chose to go after Carly. He chose to go after Carly. And then he saw the van about to fall, and he had the choice between that and chasing Carly, and it felt believable to me that something would click, like seeing Mm -hmm. the people in the van. And I feel like that was the moment when he believed that he actually could, like, do something good. And, you know, despite despite having done something bad, which I don't know how much he actually recognizes how horrible what he did was. He might mm. still think that was fine. But I, I do think there was a choice there between saving lives and, you know, vengeance. Getting and, revenge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it was yeah. so literally presented to him, like, right in his face. And I, I don't believe that... I don't believe that he couldn't make that decision, you know? And then interestingly, like he fails at it, right? I mean, he kind of saves them for long enough to Sam to like really save them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I just, I just found it believable. The whole thing when then he's talking to Val, like, I was like, uh, I don't know, but like, <laughs> I wasn't so much like into that and that totally, like, of course that's like set up the spinoffs, right? But, or mm-hmm. the, you know, the future, future series or, or movies or whatever. But I just, I did believe his character throughout the series, and I think he's representative of so many people who are told to do awful things and told that those things are right. And I enjoy seeing a character go too far down that road and then then turn back. Like, I like redemption stories, and it didn't feel really unearned to me. But I, I certainly understand how it, it could feel like too sudden but i did feel like he was thinking about it before that Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like oh i'm just gonna do the right thing it's like he was thinking about it was like no i gotta get carly oh should i save this no i gotta get carly shit all right all right i'm gonna i'm gonna save the people yeah um i that i i totally agree and i the one thing that uh what proves uh that your your point to me is how excited he was to still have a chance. Yeah. Like after, after Val leaves and he's just like super giddy that he gets to be us agent. Like he still can do something for his country. That was that, that spoke to me of just like, he, he really does believe that he can do good and he wants to. It's just, we also know that in the heat of the moment, he can make some bad decisions, but um he 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 wants to be something more than what he is yeah i i think i agree with you all 90 percent. like i 100 percent believe that his story is a tragedy and i i think we, we've talked about this on uh, we all were talking about this on on earlier episodes about how the fact that he's not a monster is very important mm-hmm. because it shows that yeah like a lot of the people who make horrible decisions and do horrible things often when they're in official uniforms are doing it because that's what they've been told and that's what they've been trained to do and that's what they've been told is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that's, that's I think, very important. I also would just kind of name my bias. I mean, I, as I said before, I live here in Minneapolis where um, where the murder of George Floyd occurred and where more recently the murder of Dante Wright occurred and I've been, like, at protests and a lot of friends have been there and so that's been, like, very, very foremost in my mind. And I, I find it very hard to watch Walker as a government-appointed person kill someone and not think of it exactly in those terms mm, yeah um so i mean i think that's part of my bias and maybe why I'm, I'm pushing back somewhat i feel like 
this to me would like you know in Avatar: The Last Airbender. This would be like if the moment Zuko says like, "Okay, no, I'm sorry, I did bad," and everyone's just like, "Okay, cool, you're back." Um, oh it, yeah, it, in terms of Cap and uh, and uh, yeah, Bucky's like I think I, I can I can buy reactions. him having that moment. I don't buy that that I don't think it redeems him yet. I think it's a like mm-hmm. it's a bit of a face turn, and maybe like it's like okay, let's see where you're gonna go. But and, and this is kind of my problem with a lot of these things. I feel like. There are some things you do that are so terrible that even if you start doing better things, like and granted, no one's going to prosecute him for killing the flag smasher, that which is unfortunate. But I, I still feel like, to me, he's starting towards the path of being a better person. But it doesn't erase what he did, right? No, and for sure. And to me, it's also a part like even what you're saying, Paul, about how like he had just lost his best friend and stuff like that. To me, and again, here this is very much my police and army sort of. Uh, viewpoint, but I think it's true of any of these stuff. If you're going to go out into the world with this great amount of power and it's kind of like accepted and approved that you're going to use this power to try and do the right thing, I have to believe that in the heat of a moment, you won't use that power to do a terrible thing. Oh, And that's what I just, I, that's where I'm just like, I don't believe that yet about Walker. I don't know if, if he's on some team again and someone else gets killed who he's really close to, will he lose it again? Um, and I guess that's why I just was like, uh, Steve and, and Bucky just kind of being like, okay, you're cool now. Just, just, that was where I drew the line. Yeah. I think it's funny that, that I, I called him Cap just like without even thinking about it. Then you called him Steve, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Sam and Bucky, but, but, um, but I was like Cap and Bucky and I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, he's Cap, you know, but just like the speed with which that just became like. How to refer to him? Um, yeah. I, I appreciate, but it, it I I a hundred percent agree in terms of um, like what we had this conversation about redemption with some other character. It might have been Vader. I'm not sure, but like the idea. I think there's two different things, right? There's like a character redeeming themselves in terms of like having some positive characteristics, and we can kind of empathize with them and feel like they want to do good and appreciate that. Um, Mm -hmm. But the idea of being redeemed like to society or in the eyes of particular people, like, yeah, I I do have a problem with, with uh, Sam and Bucky being like, you know, Oh yeah, we're good. You know, it's like, Whoa. Yeah, for sure. Whoa. That felt unearned. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in terms of the character, John Walker's actions, I buy it. And I really love the character arc in that way, in terms of the relationship between Walker and Cap and the former Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. That doesn't feel right. I'll also say that Matt Carroll over on the MCU podcast, which is a, another great place to hear people talk about this uh, show. Definitely, folks, check it out. He made the point that maybe Walker deciding to rescue the people instead of going after uh, Carly is because he remembers what happens when he does terrible things when the cameras are on. <laughs> and like, oh, I mean, damn. he said he's back. That's, and maybe that's yeah. his, his like, his moment of like, wait a minute, like, I need to look like a hero in this moment. Right. I'm going to go try and rescue these people. Like, that's cynical as hell. And I'm amazed that like, we didn't come up with that. <laughs> that's good. But, like, I was like, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's, 
that's a strong possibility. That's that's the cynical take. Yeah, I, I um, don't. I want it to be like more of like he's starting to make his face turn, but I certainly think that's that's a possibility. That's I a much say, deeper character. Yeah, <laughs> um, I will say that when um, when he sees that Carly's been shot, or and Sam's like carrying her and putting her on the stretcher, like he's giddy, he's smiling. Yeah. And like Bucky's not, you know, but they're standing next to each other and you can tell that he's like, you know, he's like, oh, good. She's dead, you know, um, which I also buy. I mean, right. so in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, being redeemed from like uh, his character standpoint or or being cynical, I think it works both ways. But um, maybe you have to watch the Thunderbolts movie to find out who he's mm-hmm. going to be. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's also a helpful, like, a, a depth of the story that's so important. Like, people don't become, like, you know, lawful evil and then go to lawful good in a heartbeat, you know? It's like, it's a process. And so him having, like, this one moment of, like, okay, I'll do the right thing. But, yeah, I still want to see that, you know, see her suffer. But I still want to see her suffer. Like, yeah, I can see that being very, you know, that that's totally believable. Yeah, and I mean, to the, to the speak of alignments, like, people aren't really those things, right? Like, yeah, people... Yeah, that simple. Yeah, like, people do some good things and people do some bad things. And, you know, what's good and bad, it depends on your perspective, I guess. But, like, you know, some people want to measure one against the other, uh, whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. it, it definitely, you know, you, you can be both, right? Yeah. The same way this last episode can be awesome and... Not awesome in points. (laughs) I'll also say just on that point, one moment that I loved, and again, showing Carly is actually the one who both gets it and is also deeply cynical. The line, we need a diversion. Give him someone to rescue. No. Yeah, that was cynical as hell. Of of course, the hero has to go like rescue the people about to fall off the cliff instead of like taking care of the bad guy. And it's like, no. Classic villain. So good. Classic (laughs) villain. Yeah. Um, how about we talk about Bucky? Because he also, we, we, we talked about before about how we really loved how his journey started in episode one. And then he became, like, I felt like in episode one and two, the show was about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Starting in episode three, and I think not for bad reasons, I think I was totally on board with this, it became Falcon's show with Bucky as an important sidekick who also got some story beats of his own. But... What did you all think of kind of where he wound up, especially with some of the ethical questions he's been wrestling with? I totally agree in terms of the episodes, except I think in episode three, it became Zemo and the, yeah, and the Falcon <laughs> show. Like, it the became Falcon Zemo's Zemo. show. Yeah, exactly. Until it wasn't yeah. Zemo's show. But, um, but yeah, the story definitely shifted more heavily towards, away from being like a 1A and 1B leading you know kind of co-leads where one is clearly the 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 first lead but the other's like the second lead and it became more to me you know a lead and and a sidekick and in terms of their relationship with one another i kind of love that um you know i love their dynamic and how bucky comes around to understanding where sam's coming from to naming that he didn't understand that, you know, why he didn't understand that. And then nonetheless, like getting a new suit for him from Wakanda and 
you know, and not telling him, hey, you need to be this, but, like, basically giving him that option, like, in uh, wardrobe, right? But, like, where where then he can decide to do that. Um, I love that between the two of them. Uh, in terms of the resolution of Bucky's arc within this uh, story, in terms of making amends, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They just, I, it just felt like, like I, I just rushed. felt like they, they didn't do it. You know, they, they told us that he did it. And they're like, we were talking about like, you know, a three minute scene wouldn't do that justice and that it would take more than that. And I was like, you should be able to spare five to 10 minutes. They didn't even give it three minutes. It was like two minutes something. And half of that time was just Bucky walking really slowly. You know, <laughs> Look, like Snyder has to have some influence somewhere. Okay, Right. Like the conversation between Bucky and Yori was just it was less than a minute. It was it like was five. Too fast. It was too fast. It was like five lines of dialogue. Bucky didn't really understand what it meant that he was the Winter Soldier, that he's not anymore. He didn't say, I'm sorry, even though, you know, as I've said, like I, that wasn't Bucky. That was the Winter Soldier. Yeah. But this felt more like he was unburdening himself and that we've been told in episode one that this might be the thing that makes Yori kind of get some closure. But we don't see that from Yori. And Mm -hmm. so while I feel like it sold Bucky's story short, I feel even more so it sold Yori's story short. And like and then they have like Leia come back and like you just see her through the window. And I was just like. I wanted so much more out of that. Like, I was really bummed in episodes three and four that we weren't coming back to that yet. But I was like, oh, we'll come back to that in episodes five and six. But it's like, it just it just wasn't satisfying to me. And that was one of the things that I loved so much about the first episode. So it was just mm-hmm. huge disappointment for me. Not having a an I'm sorry, I think, is huge. Um, I think... Sebastian Stan's acting was amazing in that scene. For sure. Of just like admitting his guilt and um, cl- holding back as much emotion as he could to be like, it, it, that, that was, that was me. Um, the, the acting was amazing. So I th- the way I saw the scene with where Leia was helping Yori with the drink, the, I saw that as Bucky going by because he knows Yori is always there on this day at this time. Yeah. And like just seeing like is he destroyed or like is he still going on with his like routines. And Yori kind of had a smile uh, when he was getting his drink. Mm-hmm. And I don't know I don't know if that was just an accident by the actor or if that was like directed. But like it seemed like without saying it as such and without getting the actual sentence from Yori himself, it seemed like he felt like he had closure now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's great what I'm saying is I feel like they showed us, they, uh, they told us without really showing us. And I, I think for me, part of why it felt disappointing was honestly, that felt like the scene we would normally get. And I always think that scene is kind of problematic and, and cause it is much more about them unburdening themselves than the hero actually listening to what the person needs. But last episode, Falcon specifically said, don't just unburden yourself. Yeah, right. Do the work. Make sure that you're doing what that person needs. And we never saw Bucky then actually do the work. 
Right. You know? So the, there needed to be more of that scene of like, you know, of of the conversation of Yori now knowing and how they interact with each other. But instead right. they cut to him leaving the the apartment super slowly. Right. And I and I I, I had said at one point in um some Facebook discussions that I thought because I wasn't sure they could do that scene all the justice it needed in just three minutes or even five minutes, that maybe the thing to do was to show Bucky like really wrestling with how to do this and like talking to people about it, and then the the sort of final shot for him is him just knocking on the door. Like I think that would have mm. been better in some ways, you know, because it just yeah. like maybe say like we can't show that without a half hour episode, and and then maybe like in some later property that that uh, Bucky comes up in, it'll we'll go back to it, but. So I think that moment bothered me, but I will say to the kind of larger thing we were saying, the more I think about it, the more I like that he became not sort of the the equal to Sam in this because – and I'm, I'm trying to say this carefully because I do think that like, you know, we explored trauma with him and that's a very important topic and trauma for veterans and I like all that. But I felt like the show writers, the showrunners and the writers made a very conscious decision of like – what Sam is exploring in terms of racial trauma and the military and the symbolism of America and all of that isn't quite on the same, like is on a different level than a white boy coming home from war and dealing with trauma. And like not to play like oppression Olympics of any kind, but I think it it, it was sort of a statement of like, this is the story we should focus on. And, And Bucky gets his own story as well. And he's important, but Sam's story is the central focus. And the fact that that is a shift from where it started, I think, was a very intentional shift, and and one that I, like, I love Bucky and I wanted to see more of him, but I do think that, like, that 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 shift does make a lot of sense to me. I get that, um, and you know, for that reason, I'm pretty happy with the end of the show being like it feels like Bucky's gonna be Captain America's sidekick again, you know, yeah. and like I'm good with that. And I think that um, Sam's story is more sort of is of more kind of obvious importance, like particularly like in the United States today, in the world today. Um, I I think Bucky's stories are also very important. Um, Mm -hmm. But the thing that bothers me about the kind of lack of closure that I feel with it isn't, isn't just Bucky not getting all of that. And, you know, I, I agree. Well, like I think Sebastian Stan was fantastic in the little bit of that scene that existed. And I mean, he's great at walking slow and and staring, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I don't want to say like that shouldn't be in there, but like, I, I felt like, like Yori's story was sold short and, you know, I thought Ken Takamoto is fantastic in that role and just like, just give him a little more, you know, just give us a little more of that. And, and, you know, that's, that's a story that we don't get a lot of, you know, I mean, we, we don't get a ton of Asian American representation in general. Like we have more than we used to by a lot, you know, um, but that's, there's still, there's still, I'd say a deficit there. And, Mm -hmm. um, as well as, like, stories of parents losing children, you know? It's like Clea yeah. said in the first episode, like, we don't have a word for that. But it's like, what, like, what worse thing can happen? Yeah. 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 No, I, no I parent think... should bury their child. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, oof, yeah okay, that, 
I'm gonna need a minute there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. I think to be clear, I'm not saying like that. That's why we don't finish Yuri's story. Oh yeah. You know I mean, yeah. like, I think there's more. I would have liked. Like, I think there could have been a great storyline about Bucky trying to decide how he feels about having the arm that made yeah. him a Winter Soldier for so long. You know, yeah. and, like. I'm okay that we didn't get that story because we were focusing more on Sam. But yes, I think if if the Yuri story was the one thing we were going to get from uh, of really of Bucky to dive into, then yeah, I, I wanted that to have better closure. And because yeah, you're like, I mean, even just bringing up like you and I talked about on the first episode of this, like Yuri is, is pretty clearly Japanese American, and yeah. like during this great time when Steve and Bucky were fighting for like the good version of America, World War II, our country was doing horrible things to Japanese Americans. And, like, to me, there's a great, like, overlap there with, like, the Isaiah Bradley story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I would have loved a lot more of that kind of stuff. Um, The one thing, uh, but just take it to one other part of Bucky's story that I'm curious about is how did you feel about the ending of his therapy story? Because clearly that was also a big deal of, like, how does he or doesn't he relate to therapy and, and the role of that in helping him with PTSD symptoms, certainly. I don't want to diagnose someone, but, right. but <laughs> reacting to the trauma that he's gone through in difficult ways. I liked that he acknowledged that she helped him. I mm. didn't like that they basically dropped that in episode two. And I feel like I've had enough with Marvel shows ending with a poor transfer of ownership of a book. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> <terrible. laughs> wow. I think the book that Wanda winds up with has a little more power. A little more consequence. A little more consequence. But hey, if we find out... Hey, that other book saved the world, maybe, you know? If the therapist is a witch all along, I'm also kind of cool with that. Sure. What if the therapist was Agatha? (laughs) I don't know. It makes me want to go back because I feel like Yori wasn't the last, last name on the list. Oh, right. Like, how did those other names get crossed off? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, so, okay. To to your point, I think um, I think they put a lot more uh, read between the lines, please, for that scene of mm-hmm. just like how much time did it take him to, you know, how much time was there between the the climax fight and him giving the book back and like him going through the motions with these other people. I think I would have preferred like for lack of a better term, like a montage of right. him sitting yeah. down with people and like talking these kinds of things out. But yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, like whatever. if that's three months later, like maybe he's right. done the work. Yeah. But it, it it feel it feels more just like, well, I feel unburdened now, so here's my book. <laughs> yeah. And and I have two things there. One is it did feel that some of those like wrap up moments happened very quickly. Like the amount of time it took the Smithsonian to acknowledge some of the terrible things we did to like <sighs> Japanese American citizens or things like that, I think it probably takes ten years of bureaucracy before they build that Isaiah Bradley statue. Yeah, yeah. Not I to know. mention, like, right. it seemed like that happened a week later. Like, making a statue isn't like instantaneous. Yeah, that that, like, that was some that, that's some three D printing or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> but but the other more serious point is, you know, I I am a, a huge advocate for mental health care, especially with trauma. I I have. Not warfare-induced in any ways, but my own kind of PTSD-type symptoms uh, from my own uh, childhood and adult traumas. And, and I think one of the things that gets talked about a lot in mental health discussions of media is that one of the worst myths out there is that 
you have that breakthrough moment when you figure out, okay, this is the problem and this is what I need to do. And then you're like, okay, doc, you're fired. I'm fine. Um, right. And that's not how therapy works at all. Like yeah. it's, it's like, it's two steps forward, five steps back, three steps. Forward. Like it's, it is a journey. And, and to me, I, so I really didn't like the idea of him being like, you know, therapist, you helped me. Sam helped me. I got some redemption. I'm done. Uh, right exactly yeah like that too easy yeah too easy and just like for something that is still so stigmatized and like we want more people to do i felt like we needed more there yeah you know i i would have liked it if he had been like he walks back into the doc's office hands her the book and sits down and says like let's keep talking you know yeah like let's talk about these names you know yeah like yeah totally It, it it falls under the category for me of like better than before in that like we actually have one of these characters even going to therapy and and then acknowledging that it helped them like Mm -hmm. great you know (laughs) they all need therapy you know i mean maybe everybody does but like (laughs) you know but it's like i think that's great that's a big step forward but like it's not more i want more (laughs) yeah Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's like how often it's funny. I've been comparing the show to saying that it's on the level of the Daredevil, of the Netflix, the Daredevil, the universe. Daredevil verse, the, the, ne- <laughs> the Netflix MCU verse. But I say one big change is my biggest complaint with all of those shows is that almost all of them could have been one to three episodes shorter. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of in some ways, this is like, OK, let's try the opposite end. Like here we're like. I, I never start stopped the season of like be like I wanted two more episodes of Luke Cage, you know, two more episodes mm-hmm. of J- Jessica Jones, um, probably more of Daredevil, but I just it's just on another level. Sure, yeah. Um, but like, so in some ways, it's a nice to have like okay, now we're now we're undershooting a little bit. Now maybe right. we do next time like one or two more. Episodes. I, I think I think we've agreed on ten episodes. I think yeah. that's where we're at. <laughs> like this is too short, needs a few more. Those were thirteen; they're a little too long. Let's go with ten. Maybe yeah. HBO had it right all along. Um, any thoughts on Zemo and Alfred? <sighs> for, for, for people who aren't like hardcore Batman fans, I'm calling, I don't know if we ever got the name of the butler. Uh, oh, but he's full on Alfred. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. No, exactly no, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me clarify. My reaction was not to you calling him Alfred, which I have also <laughs> called him. My reaction is being at a loss for words where like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I have written down Zemo. Really? From the raft? <laughs> you can fuck right off with that. Total supremacist. <laughs> and then in quotes, the butler did it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Those are my notes. Uh, discuss. <laughs> I don't mind Zemo being in the raft or being back at the raft. Um, it shows that the Dormilogy followed through with what they're saying they're going to do oh yeah that's not what no they really should have spirited him away he 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 is he is uh he killed their king like (laughs) it was that such a a season eight game of thrones moment to me them taking to the raft though is so important because of the way it contrasts with walker yeah because they do put justice ahead of vengeance there right 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 no so my point i mean i i already had some thoughts to say about the raft before like guantanamo Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) you know and should they have brought them back to where he was originally and like tried to 
improve the security, whatever. A lot of stuff there. But no, in this episode, it was that somehow he's in the raft and yet his butler blows up these four super soldiers like who never really get a chance to be real characters. That's who the old guy was? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. that was Zemo's butt. That's why we keep calling oh him Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, so, yeah. And then Zemo's oh. like smiling and shit. Like he's so pleased with himself. Oh my gosh. I thought he was just some old shadow figure that we're going to get shown later. Like as oh. like right. some That's new what I, reveal. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought oh, at first until they cut to that. I was like, oh. <laughs> See, I, I had a somewhat different take on it though. I, I don't think that was meant to be zemo from the raft like contacting yeah. him and saying like put a bomb at this place in this time because i think part of what we saw before no. was that like the butler was acting independently to like keep things ready for zemo the whole time right right and, and so i took it more as like at some point zemo pulled alfred aside and said look <laughs> i'm probably not gonna get to finish this mission you need to keep your eyes out. There's probably like, and you know, Zemo's smart enough to know, like, they're pr- like maybe he could predict that, like, the flag smashers are gonna, you know, hit the GRC for some big meeting or something like that. Like, I think I could buy that. And he's like, look, you need to find a moment when the flag smashers can be killed and take them out. And then the butler did the rest, you know. <laughs> but like the butler, like being able, like get me like, oh, let me just put the C four under this like like police van or whatever, and then I, I just. I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't check out. Maybe maybe if he had... Yeah, I don't know. We watched... Paul, you and I watched Gotham, where Alfred was a literal former member of, like, the British, like, commando forces and did all sorts of crazy stuff. I like, quit watching Gotham the third season. I, so. I stopped. I stopped after the third season. Yeah. That's I, fair. Yeah. But I don't think, like, badass uh, uh, Alfred was why you quit. No. No, I just stopped. I just stopped watching yeah. all the shows at one point. But, like... I just, I, I don't know. The whole, like, Zemo, the whole Zemo thing in this series is so frustrating in general to me because I really enjoyed almost all the time he was on screen until this episode. When I'm like, did, did he have TV or something? Like, how does he even have access? Like, why would they give him yeah, access idea. to anything? Because if you have money and influence, you can have a swankier uh, prison cell just like kingpin did even in the raft i feel like that's where like even in the raft the raft receives all radio communique from all over the world it's a very special yeah it's a very special prison at least they did show that they were above water for that scene so i I have a separate question there which and this is going to get into a whole other thing that we can talk about some other time but like if the point of the raft is to say that super powered people it's so hard to contain them in a regular jail yes. that we have to build a super specialized prison that even people with like superpowers can't break out of. Why is Zemo in the raft? Why was Hawkeye ever on the raft? Why was Falcon ever on the raft? Right. Like, Why was that Black doesn't Widow make any sense. <laughs> right, exactly. And then if they are, then the person who doesn't have superpowers but is really good at orchestrating stuff from the shadows, like, should not have access to anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, which again is why I feel like I don't think he orchestrated it. But again, that's that's we need another episode. <laughs> I I don't need another episode of that. I'm sorry. That's, that's I'm just fair. I'm that's done fair. with Zemo. Like <laughs> okay. The fa- I mean the fact that he's like a baron and mm-hmm. super wealthy and has like a servant and yet is like oh you're all supremacists because you want to take something that makes you healthier. Like just 
just shut up, Zemo. Like, come on. <laughs> I think he's wrong, but I think I think him doing that makes a very important point, which is I think it's he's a out very... of line, but he makes a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that I think a lot of times, it, more than I think the writers make a good point through the character. I think a lot of times people will say, okay, there's all this stuff we take for granted, and I don't want to think about that. Mm-hmm. But now you are one step beyond what I take for granted, and so you're a problem. And so I think he would sort of be like, you know, yeah, he very much is a separatist, but he doesn't see it that way. He feels like, you know, there's all the normal human power dynamics, and and then this person is above that. Right, right. And I don't think it's coincidence that in the normal non-supremacist humanity that he sees— he comes out on top. But then the supremacists killed his family and killed his city and killed his country. Right. And so, right. yeah, I, I think he's very much an unreliable narrator in that regard of like, yeah, showing that like when people claim supremacy, they often don't want to look at themselves. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it, it's believable and coherent. I just disagree with it. And yeah. there's like, there's a point to which like, I'm just, okay, enough of that. And yeah. this was beyond that point. <laughs> I also want to edit what I just said. I realized the words I said were that the people who claim supremacy don't want to look at themselves. Like I think I will talk about white supremacy until the cows come home. I'm not saying that like supremacist arguments are bad. I'm just saying I think often someone like Zemo or, or, or a lot of people can often like they're very willing to look at the outside problems. They're not willing to look at themselves. That's all I meant. There. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the last one I had on my list was Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Will, Sorry, Will, think? why don't I, you start I, with this? I think Paul just gave a fairly <laughs> succinct ethical conclusion. Um, Sharon's story, I feel like, even with everything we've talked about, is the most rushed. Um, her interactions with Carly, her interactions with, or interaction with Batrock, uh, her getting her pardon in from the council and immediately given back her position with the CIA. Um, and then not even leaving the property and right. called being like, Hey, super soldier serum is off the, off the table. However, comma, get ready. Cause I've just been given all this military and governmental power. Right. I like you know. might want to use a landline for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh so, okay i i will say um her showing up uh in manhattan highlights my problem with all things comics and movies <laughs> um and it's that people travel the planet so easily in tv shows yeah mm-hmm. like i i get that Sometimes you're a baron and you have a private plane, but and sometimes you're the power broker and you probably have a a, a private plane. <laughs> but like when you just show up when we've are when we've gone to the other side of the planet and everyone that matters is there already, it's like how many private planes are there? I guess they're private, so I don't know. But I don't know. It. <sighs> I it's get magic teleporting now, armies of Game yeah. of Thrones. Right, exactly. Now that she's the power broker, I understand her need to be there, even though she was waiting for Sam to give her the pardon. But, um, and someone else made this point in the Facebook group, but like, her reveal, uh, 
and her actions this episode completely counter everything she's done in the first five episodes like helping find the doctor for the super that that made the copy of the super soldier serum Mm -hmm. uh or showing up in the bar and putting bucky in contact with um or zemo and them all in contact with the other lady like so many of her actions don't make sense if she's the power broker like she shouldn't want to kill carly she shouldn't on that but but like power broker threatened to kill carly if she if she doesn't bring the serum back but the serum gets destroyed and so she wants to recruit carly back but then when she's like i have more power than you carly but she still gets shot she's not bulletproof like she like it's it's all over the place and and i feel like they might have been able to do more if sharon wasn't the power broker yeah and she was just a rogue agent who has power in medjapore (laughs) I feel like they gave us such a compelling story of her being the one who got left behind, you know? And <clears throat> to me, there's a really interesting, like, a, a dimension there of, like, the people who get pardoned are the people who are visible heroes, you know, the ones who are seen rescuing things in, right. in, in Endgame. And and then that also kind of goes to why John Walker was like, well, got to appear on camera saving some people. Um, <laughs> and I felt, so to me, I really, I thought we were going to get a story of her being, like, the second in command to the power broker who's actually like screwing over the power broker by helping Carly and stuff like this. Um, my understanding is that what they're doing is setting her up for that. She's going to play a large part maybe in secret invasion because she's a scroll or maybe in armor <laughs> wars. Cause that's all about like the selling stuff. Like they're setting something up for some future Marvel property and they just don't want to reveal enough of her character now, yeah. but it, and so maybe like the showrunner's hands were tied. I, I don't know, but it just felt like, what they did with her felt, yeah, I complete. I, I didn't have any idea of a through line that connected the different things she did. Yeah, so cosine everything Will said. Uh, cosine almost everything you said, Matthew. <laughs> um, the, the only thing I disagree with was I didn't really buy the whole left behind story. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, it makes sense. Like, you can say, oh, yeah, I guess that could have happened. But it just doesn't feel to me like what would have happened. Like, I don't. I just don't really buy it, um, but I mean, she was a, she was a high ranking member of the CIA at the time yeah, of Civil War. Yeah, but she also stole the shield. Right. Yeah. I, I guess I guess now we know that they know sh- that she stole the shield. <laughs> right, that's why she was like let go. I don't right, know. but like I don't believe really that like. Steve and the basically they're the secret Avengers at that point, right? Like, right. yes, like that they would have just like not thought of her again, and yeah, she would have right. just disappeared off into Madripoor, or whatever. They after kissed, getting... right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> give her a call, bro. You know, it's like, the first kiss I... he's had in eighty years. <laughs> like... I mean, I think Steve is clearly not a part of. Uh, you know, Steve is kind of, like, I think it's certain implication is supposed to be Steve comes back to this world for, like, that one conversation with Bucky and Sam, and then he's gone again. And so he's not part of hanging around in the government oh, negotiations about a pardon and stuff like but that. But I mean between but Civil War and Infinity right. War. Right. Yeah. Or for the five years during, between Infinity War and, and mm. Endgame. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't believe that. Yeah. I just don't like, believe it. 
Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Like, I was going to say, the part of it I do believe is if you told me that, like, it doesn't make sense that a government organization wouldn't have recognized that Sharon should also be pardoned, I'd be like, okay. But then I'd respond with, but does it make sense that Thunderbolt Ross would not want to pardon her? Yes, I 100% Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could, like, basically, I could buy that the government would be shitty. That's not a hard bill of goods to sell me. Like, just in general, you know? And specifically, given, given Ross... Um, mm-hmm. but the idea that she had basically just been like ignored and forgotten by all the rest of the characters who were essentially on her side, then, um, nope, like I don't buy yeah. it. Um, and yeah, yeah I mean, I, I just in this, but even if I buy that, like the rest of her story makes just so much less than zero sense. Like it hurts my yeah. brain how little sense it makes. And I would say there's just, one way I can explain it, which is if when all the stuff she said about like she's so bummed she didn't get a pardon, if all of that's a lie. Like if Oh, if that she didn't she, want a pardon. Or that she was just already she had like, you know, gone off to Magipur and started getting involved in this criminal underworld. And like right. Right. she doesn't care. She's she's made much more of a name for herself in Magipur right, than right. she ever would have at yeah. the CIA. Yeah. Or yeah. she's a scroll. Which is the other thing that's like, uh, or that she's that, a scroll. Yeah, I hate that that's a possibility. <laughs> because if they make her Veronk or Veronki, however you're supposed to pronounce it, I've always called it Veronk, but I've heard other people say Veronki. Uh, if they make her Veronk, that makes way more sense. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, Veronk is the queen of the scrolls and kind of the uh, she's the one that did the whole secret invasion thing. Okay. That, in the sense. comics. In the comics. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that... I know a lot of people didn't like the Nick Fury reveal at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home. But, like, I for given that the whole movie, I was like, I don't see how Nick Fury wouldn't see through this shit. Like, exactly. At the right? end, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Checks out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. All right, we um, covered okay. it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The The only thing that I wanted to throw in there, and I feel like we can at least, I can try to end it on, on a better note. <laughs> uh, oh, I have is, a very good note to end on, but yeah, go ahead. Um, the This is the first time since the uh, since Tony's death that I've gotten choked up with an MCU property. Um. Mm. Of bringing Isaiah to the museum. Like, something about a proud older person, doesn't have to be black, but a proud uh, senior person being choked up just gets me. <laughs> Breaks me every single time. And seeing the, the pride in his eyes uh, when he sees his statue, him being able to bring his grandson and be like this this can now be my legacy look at this look at look at what i i helped do and then him like shaking sam's hand going to the embrace and then just breaking on on camera was so powerful to me yeah so good to see i said back when we went uh i Back when we covered the episode where Isaiah first appears, I think I said on this podcast that I really wanted, I felt like Sam becoming Captain America would be like him meeting Isaiah's blessing. And they, they did the timing of it differently than I had thought, but I really love that we still got that moment, you know, and that it was, yeah. 
of Isaiah both sort of recognizing him and accepting him and, and honoring that, but then Sam making it so clear that this does not mean that Isaiah's story didn't happen. Because I think there's a very weird way of yeah. it happening. That kind of like, oh, you know, like as you kind of said, Will, a couple episodes ago, it's like, you know, we have a black president. We have a black Captain America. There's no racism. Everything's fine. <laughs> and I feel like Sam clearly was wanted to be like, yes, we're now at a point where we can tolerate a black captain. And I say that more intentionally because I think a lot of white America is going to tolerate a white, a black Captain America. But we still have to look at the history of I'm not the first black person to wear this mantle. And you are awful to the ones who were before me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I also found that scene very emotional. Um, and even before that, just when when he was talking to Isaiah at his house and um I think that whole aspect of the story is is the part that um, this show did the best. And on some level, that I think was the most important story within the story. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I, it's, it's what makes me not hate the show, despite mm-hmm. the things that like really drive me crazy. But I do feel like, above all else, like this show had that mission and it succeeded so well in that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I really appreciate that. And in terms of like what it means to me and, and what I think it, you know, it means to other people. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said before, but I started this podcast and, and it was a website even before it's a podcast, a blog, because I really believe that, you know, people giving speeches like AOC or Sam or Carly is important. But that a lot of the way that people get reached about justice issues sometime is when they sit down to, they think, watch some superheroes fight and then find themselves like learning a whole bunch about racism or, yeah. or gender or whatever it is. And by that metric, this is one of the most, if not the most successful property that I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I like I know it partly the generation I am like my mother used to talk all the time about Star Trek and what that did for her generation and stuff like that. And, and for others, so I don't want to, I don't want to start a competition there, but it's just in our stranded Panda chat group, but also in a lot of the other content I'm finding the number of white people who I know, who I've seen posting content about how, like when Bucky said, I should have realized that, you know, what we were asking you to do by being a black man, that I didn't realize what that meant. And I'm sorry number of people I know who've been telling their own stories, like making TikToks and saying like, yeah, I, I remember when I did that to a friend of mine and I didn't really think about it. And I, and that was wrong. And I, I learned from this and just the discussions that I'm seeing people have about race and privilege and people who might not otherwise have those discussions, but because the show hit those tone, hit those notes so well um, and about trauma and stuff like that, but especially around race and this country and, you know, it, in the same, actually, I'll say another great example. This is just the way, like, um, the show Watchmen on HBO a couple of years ago. Like, I don't think anywhere near as many people know about, like, Black Wall Street and the Tulsa riots if it's not mm-hmm. for that show. And, I, I, you know, I'm a little worked up thinking about this. Like, I just, I just really want to honor the work that the, the showrunner and the writers and the directors and the actors did here of telling a very entertaining story that we might have some quibbles about the way they told it. But, like, you know, they had some great fight scenes and great action and a lot of comedy. But also, like, really hitting people hard. Um, and I, I, to me, I, I just really want to honor that. To me, that's, like, exactly the kind of show I want to see more of. And I think Daredevil and the MCU did, uh, uh, the Netflix MCU definitely did some of that. And I'm just so glad to see that's now happening on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just quick side, side uh, um, tangent 
anecdote. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, the uh, to your point about people um, having more and more stories about like oh that happened to me kind of a thing. Um, just a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, um, I had told my wife. She, my wife is white. I, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just really lucky to have a white wife and blah blah blah. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't know what uh, me being white has anything to do with. And I was like, I get treated differently when I'm with you than when I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. And I gave her. I just, I had like three examples back to back of just like these are places that they usually know me and I go places without you and I get treated differently. And, mm-hmm. and like, she was like, I, I didn't really realize that. I'm really sorry. That's the thing. I was like, you know, it, it's fine. Like I, this is how I've grown up. Like I, I'm used to it. It's fine for me. I, I get, it's not fine, but like, I get, I get where my, like where I stand. <laughs> like I understand where, I will be coming from and when I go to certain places I understand the situation I'm walking into and and it hasn't been apparent to her until I've I specifically pointed these things out yeah it's wild America Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I think like even even as I know, I was I was talking about the the white reaction to the show because that's what I know best. But I also know I've heard uh, numerous black folk or other people of color talk about how like how seen they saw by parts of the show and ways they hadn't been by by other things. And I think it's just it's it's just incredible to get that kind of content. And I just I just want more of it now. More, <laughs> which is part of why I'm like, I think Tom Hiddleston is a fantastically charismatic actor. Having had this, watching him just like have fun adventures bouncing around the timeline, I'm gonna be like, no, give us more deep examination <laughs> of everything is wrong with America. Not like... <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it will be too. So yeah, yeah I'm be... curious. I'm curious how this is gonna go because um, uh, one of the side effects of me reading as many comics as I have is my takeaway is usually like big picture. How does it fit in um, mm-hmm. with the universe and uh WandaVision so much of it was giving Wanda the depth and um and coping that she needed for all of the heartache she's gone through yeah. and it's 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 uh it's giving her a fuller character that we can empathize with and actually care for going forward yeah. so much of Falcon and Winter Soldier is last time we saw Sam, he was given a shield he didn't feel like he deserved or should have. And so we got to see this character plot of him accepting the shield and now holding it with a sense of pride. And so now when we see him in a movie, we, it it's not going to be a weird jump. So what is going to be that big picture takeaway for Loki jumping around and breaking his own timeline from... 2012 avengers 2.0 yeah i don't know we'll see yeah i think there definitely could be some much more seriousness than i'm giving it credit for like i I just i just don't like time travel (laughs) that's my (laughs) own thing there um and it's funny also because what i where i thought you were going was about how kind of in the same way falcon winter soldier did like wandavision was also a great bait and switch like i turned it on thinking like okay i like 1950s sitcoms and 60s sitcoms i'll watch a fun story about uh, oh I'm getting a fundamental, <laughs> fundamental meditation story. on grief and loss and acceptance. Like, 
this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's you know it's it's it has a good life. Uh, gives us a lot of hope for the future of the Disney Plus universe for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> Paul. Any uh, kind of last thoughts from you or last points or questions you want to bring up? Uh, you have a list of bullet points we haven't covered yet. Uh, let me let me peruse my list of bullet points. I think we mostly, um, yeah, covered things. Um, I I, uh, I guess one thing that I wanted to say that um, is maybe totally a tangent from that, but just that, um, you know, on the last show, having said, ha, 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 kill them all, um, in... <laughs> I I want to just give a little bit of a clarif- clarity clarification there um, that you know I I do strongly believe that if those in power can be removed from power that's always the top option. Well, I mean, if those who are in power and are abusing that power, um, right. or if power can be redistributed <clears throat> more evenly without violence, always always you know go that way. Um, I think this show did a, a good job of showing how, you know, violence used by law enforcement can be or is, you know, so horrific and contrast that with, you know, violence used maybe to prevent violence and, um, you know, but also kind of showed how, you know, what Carly did, I think, in certain spots was you know, we can look at and say was, was horrible, but at the same time, like it resulted in 20 million people not being, you know, marched at gunpoint away from where they were, from where they lived. And, um, but a lot of that had to do with Sam, you know, ultimately accepting the mantle of Captain America, taking it for himself and owning it. Um, and you know, hopefully changing the world really right because yeah. i mean if you change the united states you you change the world mm. to some extent i mean if you change any part of the world you change the world but you know like uh <laughs> the, the u.s has such an outsized effect on other other countries um that him taking that symbol which i, I in the first place didn't even i don't really believe in the symbol in a certain way but yeah. the way that he took it and is like, I'm going to represent, you know, the, the values of what I think this country should be, um, I think is extremely powerful. You know, I, I think him being a black man doing that is extremely powerful. Um, doing that with, you know, as you were saying about Isaiah, like not like getting Isaiah's blessing, but not doing so in a way that negates Isaiah's story. Instead, kind of using that, leveraging that influence to get Isaiah's story told and sort of, you know, make it true in other people's eyes, but then to say, hey, from here, we can do better. We can be better, you know, moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I certainly have a feeling like that, I don't think Sam really could be Captain America in a world that didn't know Isaiah's story. You know, for him, mm. those two things are very yeah, linked. Right. And I, I think with Carly's, with what you're saying there, uh, especially about the violence, like after we had that conversation that uh, where we talked about like what should happen to the leaders of the GRC, I, I, I mean, I'm definitely in the favor of like the people making the decisions are much more like, you know, they're the ones to go after, not the like poor, you know, the right. the they're... poor people like you know, joining a military for subsistence wages, carrying out their orders. Right. But 
But I think the other thing is to me is that the more I thought about this conversation, the more I thought like, and this is a thought I have every time someone's like, oh, if we just got rid of these like 50 billionaires, the world would be a much better place. Like if you like get rid of a whole bunch of political leaders by like killing them or like even just arresting them or like doing whatever, their aides just take over and do the same thing. Right. You know, like if you get rid of all the billionaires, the people inherit all their money, just keep doing the same. Like it, I think there's sometimes a hope that like there's these certain group of people who are the evil ones. And if we get rid of them, everything changes. And to me, that's part of what part of what Carly kind of got wrong. And what the show was kind of saying was that like the world only paid attention because of what Carly did. And that's super important. But then once mm-hmm. the world was paying attention, you needed something more like Sam's speech than just doing harm. And, and I, I think it's I think it's significant that no actual harm comes to the, any of the GRC leaders, if I'm if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, all right. So I think on that uh, cheery note, uh, <laughs> going to wrap things up. Um, Will, I'm so glad you got to be a part of this podcast. Um, Me too. It's been so helpful. And frankly, like, you know, you're now part of the crew. So we're going to be pulling you back for a number of superhero ethics episodes, as well as your co-host, Steve. Uh, sounds like me and Paul are going to go on um, some episodes with you all. Yeah. We just have to, like, you know, play, like, you know, rock, paper, scissors to see who has to edit it all. Not me. Um, but... <laughs> No, no, Paul, you haven't edited anything. I, so I don't do even it. know. I don't know what, what's editing. <laughs> I mean, maybe Dude, my mom I've, was a professional yeah, editor I've for spent decades, years but. talking about how I want to be on a podcast or uh, do a YouTube channel, but I don't want to do any of the editing, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> Still haven't edited. Nice. But yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have you back. We'll have us on uh, some of your episodes. But, but for now, if people want to find more of what you're doing, uh, let us know. Yeah, uh, so everywhere you listen to podcasts, go and look for Hype is My Superpower. Uh, we are there, and we have zero structure, and so our episodes tend to go very long. But uh, go find us. Go find our podcast. We have an Instagram. We have a Facebook group where you can ask us questions, and we'll answer them as best as we can in the next episode. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's definitely. I've been enjoying the podcast. Um, Me too. I, I'm not a comic guy, and so I think I, I get lost sometimes. But most of the time, you all do a great job of explaining what is the comics you're talking about and why it's relevant and stuff like that. And so I just, it, I think, especially for people who don't know comics as well, it's a great, great podcast. Yeah, uh, and Paul. Oh. oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, I find the the parts where one of you has read something and are kind of talking about it or explaining it to the other, like perfectly suited for people who haven't read them also right because yeah mm-hmm. it kind of gives us that like yeah one one of you is is hearing it from the other and, and it it's a, a really good conversation definitely definitely that's great to hear um, and of course if you guys have questions from the episodes get on the facebook group and ask us and oh we'll yeah talk about it we will do, <laughs> do that uh, and paul if people want to hear you talk about um chess or poker or taking over the world where should they find your own <laughs> creations language learning i think i think more language learning than taking over the world those are those are the sort of things you 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 don't you know put on the app um but <laughs> <laughs> yeah just at zen madman at at twitter twitch um some other places maybe maybe tiktok i, I haven't put anything up yet but maybe i will i don't know we'll see awesome <laughs> awesome well, thank you both so much. Um, it's been great having you a part of this. And to our fans, thank you. Obviously, there was so much we discussed, so many great topics. I'd love to hear what you think. We've been getting some great listener feedback, um, great discussions in the Stranded Panda chat group on Facebook, which I strongly recommend people join. Uh, but I, I'd say definitely please you know, let us know what you think. I'll also say that um, 
you know, we've been joking about editing and stuff like that. Uh, there is a lot of work that goes into putting together these podcasts. I love doing it. I love getting to have great guests. Um, but your support is also f- fantastic. You know, and so if, if you're a fan of this podcast, there's a couple great things you can do to help. You can spread the word about it. Uh, help us get more listeners. You know, if you're talking to friends or coworkers or people at, you know, your organizations or churches or synagogues or Little League. I mean, don't play Little League yet. It's still a pandemic. But you know what I mean. Like, whatever you're doing. Um, if you're talking about this, forward them an episode. Get them to, to sign up. Get them to, to be part of the conversation. The other great thing you can do to support us is become a Patreon. Uh, I want to thank uh, Megan Lachowski. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Megan Lachowski, who's a, a big contributor pre- in the Stranded Panda podcast group. Uh, they, she just became a she just became a uh, patron at the five. She just became a patron, and I'm so grateful for it. And uh, you do get some great things. You get the uh, outtakes track, which I promise will have some a couple moments that might put Paul in jail. Another thing that made me look horrible. Uh, but definitely a lot of entertaining things there. Uh, as well as, you know, just other great stuff. And we'll just get to know that you're supporting us and, and making these podcasts possible. So if you can, uh, head over to patreon.com and search for The Ethical Panda and throw us a couple bucks. It's greatly appreciated. Throw us a review on iTunes or any of those places. Let us know, uh, hopefully five star. But if not, you know, let us know what you think we can do better or what we are doing good. And definitely check out, um, hopefully... Uh, if you want to contact us with feedback, best way to do that is by searching for The Ethical Panda on Facebook or Twitter. That's kind of the name I do all the podcasting under, this and Star Wars and some other stuff. And also go to the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. We talked about that a lot. There's a lot of great podcasts on there. They talk about the MCU, DC, Star Trek, my Star Wars podcast, uh, a lot of other good stuff there. And it's just great content to find. Um, they even made me lo- like the the monster Godzilla uh, Kong movies, which I did not expect to, but the, the, the content they made about them was pretty great. So check all that out. Uh, check out all the stuff that Paul and Will are doing. And thank you and have a great day. One world. One people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>